James chapter 1. We just started the book of James. We just finished the book of Mark. And James is pretty pretty hard-nosed. If you read anything from Martin Luther, Martin Luther did not like James whatsoever. Martin Luther, the reformer. Um, that sounds kind of like a professional wrestler. <laughs> Martin Luther, the reformer. <laughs> no, he really... Uh, he came up, he was in a background, Martin Luther was in, in a background of, of just a lot of works. There were all these indulgences that were going on in the church, and so he really hesitated towards Romans and Galatians, where it was talking about by grace through faith alone. And that was a very much needed poignant of, uh, point of Scripture at that time in the 1500s where there were indulgences that to where you could pay people, you know, pay the church, and all of a sudden people's sins would be taken away and all these types of things where Martin Luther was saying, hey, that's not what it says. It says the just shall live by faith in Romans uh, something, 17, 1, I think. He says, hey, you know, he didn't even like the book of James. He thought most of it, he's like, how could it possibly be scriptural? That was an interesting thought. James, as we had talked about, was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Half-brother of Jesus. And notice when we start again, I said that he, he calls himself, he doesn't even say, hey, G- James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He says, James, the bondservant of Jesus Christ. I think it's uh, very telling of him. He was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. He followed the Lord Jesus to death. He's thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, landed on the ground, didn't die, and so what happened? They stumbled to death, and he was crying out to them, said, Lord, forgive him. And here he is, one of the earliest martyrs of the church, and he writes out, and he says to the twelve tribes, Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, in the Greek, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We've been talking over the last couple weeks about how faith is tested. How many of you are in trials, I asked. I hate trials. And he says to count it all joy when you're in trials because what that trial is supposed to do, the purpose of it, that trial in your life is supposed to refine your faith, the thing that is most precious to God, your trust in Him alone. I will trust in you alone. We're just saying it, right? To refine that. But how can I trust you, Lord, when my body is hurting so badly? How can I trust you, Lord? My finances are absolutely out of control. How can I trust you with this wayward child? How can I trust you with my emotional problems or whatever it is? And like Abraham of old, we get tested. Go ahead and take your son, your only son, and bring him to a place that I'll show you and and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. No thank you, God. But Abraham got up early the next morning and he set himself to obey the Lord, even in the midst of the trial. He went. And as we know, when he got to that hill, his son said, hey, you know, I see the wood, I see all the good stuff, but uh, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham still said, you know what? The Lord will have to provide himself a sacrifice. Obviously a picture of what would happen 2,000 years later. But he tied his son to that altar and was about to bring down the knife. And the Lord, what did he do? He said, stop. Now that I know, I know, finally, God's saying to him, that you don't value these other things more than you value me. You're willing to take your only son. And so there was a a ram in the thicket, and he went and sacrificed the ram instead. And 2,000 years later, 
in that same exact spot, as I've said many times before, Jesus was sacrificed, the Son of God. And God did not stop. He came all the way down. And His blood was shed for you and for me and for our sins. But we talk about James, that testing of our faith, that trial. And, it, and as we've been going over, it says to consider it pure joy. And not that it is joyful. It's not fun. How many of you are having fun? Oh, yeah, I love getting up every morning and hurting so badly I can't even move. So much fun. No, that's not joy. But the joy is that I know that I know that God is using this circumstance, contrary to what I, how I feel about it, that he is doing something in my life to making me more like Jesus. And that is so important. If you're not in it to follow Jesus, then that's not fun. You know, Jesus isn't into making listeners. He's into making disciples. That's very interesting. We're going to get there in just a second. That's today's verse. But as you read this, he says, perseverance must finish its work. You don't let perseverance... I like the other translation better, personally. Um, the chapter four, uh, Verse 4, it says, Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's desire for us. That we be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus until that day. That we be perfected and, and completed in Him. Not lacking anything. And then he goes on and talks about wisdom. But we have to let it happen. Let that work happen in you. You know, and I talked about how sometimes we try to escape to the left and to the right. And so I think in my life and, and perhaps in yours, instead of, of saying, okay, Lord, this circumstance has been brought upon me, and now here I am in the middle of it, change me. Work in me. Use this to refine my faith, Lord, even though I hate it and I don't like it and I want to go. In spite of how I feel, like your son Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Your will be done in my life, Lord Jesus. That's hard. That's crucifying. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. One of the things we lack in trials is wisdom. And the Lord wants us to go to him for wisdom. Not to anybody else, but to go to him first of all. Bow, bow our knee in prayer. Go to his word and seek him for wisdom. And then the Lord will direct us. And he says, but when you ask, this is the attitude that we're having when we ask. Don't be divided in your hearts. Don't go up haphazardly. Oh, God, please. And I know that you can kind of do this if you want to, but uh, that's not what he wants. He wants a heart that says, I know you can do this, Lord. Here I am. Now, how many of you struggle with faith? How many of you struggle with trusting the Lord when you ask him stuff? It shows us, one, that we don't know the Lord. Right? Our, our idea of him isn't pure enough. You know, he has to keep on teaching us. You know, there's those moments where we're like, I can trust him for anything. You know? Any situation. And then the next situation comes up, oh, I don't trust you very much, Lord. He's revealed that over and over again. But that idea that we can go to the Lord boldly for, time, for need in time of help. Right now, you can go straight to the Lord, to our Father, and ask, Lord, help. And I love that story in Matthew chapter 7, I think it was, or I think it might be Matthew chapter 7, but it was also in Mark when we studied the man who came down and said, Lord Jesus, will you heal my son? And he's getting tossed into the fire, right, and all these types of things. And what did he say? Yeah, I can. Well, he asked him, he says, if you can help me, 
You know, will you please help me if you can? And Jesus said, you know, what are you talking about if you can? I'm not in the if you can business. I'm in the I will. And and then the guy realizes, he says, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. To cry out to the Lord today and say, help my unbelief in this. God will meet you where you are. He's so gracious and he he wants to give, give good gifts to us. And he goes on and says, but when you ask, believe and do not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave, a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man and unstable in all he does. People, if you are following Jesus Christ and you are have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, so to speak, you're unstable in all you do. You're going to find your life is full of volatility in every single manner. Any of you feel like that? Well, this is why. You aren't full on for Jesus. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have a house that's divided. It will fall. You got to be all the way in or all the way out. Jesus said in Revelation, lukewarm, yuck. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Get in or get out. I'm not into having Sunday disciples. Lord, help us. Amen. Lord, help Matt. The brother in humble circumstances, verse 9, ought to take pride in his position. What does that mean? Those who are poor. He talks about it in chapter 2. And he goes on in, the, uh, in chapter 2. He, Let's see if I can find it here. He said, isn't, isn't it the rich who kind of beat you up and, and knock you around? But isn't, isn't the kingdom of God been given to the poor? talks about that those who are poor should rejoice in their circumstances instead of complaining that they're poor realize that the riches of god have been poured out upon them and when they're leaving they're not leaving much they're going straight to him into more glorious circumstances then he says to the rich brother hey glory in your humble circumstance humble and that it's all going away it's going away soon you never see a u-haul following a hearst right you're gonna dump and listen you're in egypt He says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises and scorches its heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. You know, our, the tulips next door, they're so beautiful. They just started to wilt. And then we come out was it yesterday and they're all gone. Clip, clip, clip. They all clipped them back. Gone. I'm like, oh, so short, so brief and so beautiful. And so is our lives, you know? We're, we're there and we bloom and then we're gone. Don't put your stock in riches of this life. And he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised uh, to those who love him. And Jesus talks about that over and over again about loving him. When tempted, now this word test and tempt is the same word, but by the context we see that it's a different idea here. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one when he's temp- uh, each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and in sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And you recognize that in your own life? You, see, you have these own earthly lusts that happen. They're there. You get dragged away. You know what it comes down to? Is that we're trying to meet our own desires and our own needs apart from God's resources and His timing. 
You ever realize that? Less going after certain things in the flesh instead of doing it God's way, we do it our way. We end up reaping the whirlwind. Financially, I mean, it just can go any any direction you want. But God doesn't test, doesn't tempt us with evil. He tests us. Now, that's a very hard concept to understand. If you look at when the, Jesus was tempted in the garden, I mean, Jesus was tempted uh, before his, uh, right after his baptism. He went and was drawn away into the wilderness. And he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And then Satan came and tempted. There's a difference there. Satan tempted that he might fall. God tested that he might be strengthened in his faith. You see that? Satan's desire for you to tempt you is to destroy you. He has one objective, you know, to seek, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you out. That trinity wants to just seek you out. Find out what's going on, how you tick, what your weakness is on, and use it to kill you and destroy you and everybody around you. How's he doing? God would take those same circumstances that are in your life and to have you resist them and to follow the Lord, to resist the devil, and he shall flee from you and be strengthened in your faith and so forth, strengthening other people around us. Isn't that exciting when you see people have overcome temptation? gives you hope. It gives you hope. But when everybody's falling apart around you, where does your soul go? Gosh, it's just so horrible. I might as well give in. You know, and we look around the church. Boy, tune us up, Lord. Tune up our hearts and our attitudes. Worldwide church, you know, that we would start using these opportunities instead of giving in, starting to press into faith. And, and what do you have for this circumstance, Lord Jesus? Many of you are doing that today. And God is encouraging you. He's growing you, and we see it. Some of you need to get in gear. Amen? As Brother James would say, knock it off in the name of the Lord. You know? So, then, verse 15, actually 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. We're trying to get that good and perfect gift from other means. You're trying to get that satisfaction in your soul from other means. Except for the Lord. The things that you need in your soul and your life, the, the, the longings that you have, can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ from the Father handing them to you. Marriage. The things you need in your marriage. God has those and wants to give them to you, wants to bless you, not to, and not to leave you in the dark. But when we grab onto our own ways and our own methods and we don't release it and ask for him and then receive it and go after it, what happens? Man, we reap the whirlwind. We do. Notice, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. My dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, well, the one who put them there is, is kind of how it's, it's translated. Whoever does not change, uh, who, I'm sorry, who does not change like the shifting shadows, he chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we, we might be the kind of first fruits who we all created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Anybody in a trial this morning? Circle, star, underline, highlight, tattoo on your forehead, verse 19. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You have an issue with anger. Anybody have an issue with anger? I do. Anybody have an issue with anger? Okay. Let's read on real quickly. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Somehow we think in our anger that we are going to solve the problem and and it does not work. It's not going to produce the righteous life that God wants to have. So how do we get rid of anger? We have to disciple ourselves, discipline ourselves, yield to the Holy Spirit. It's a work in progress for me. Okay, let's go. How do we do it? You, you practice this. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Train yourself day by day. F- fruits of the flesh, you know, those evidence of the flesh are outfits of wrath. Just freaking out and bombing on everybody and then all of a sudden everything's okay while everybody else deals with the devastation. It's not what the Lord would want for us. You lack wisdom in this circumstance, don't you? The Lord would want to give it to you, and he's given you here the word that wants to give you life. You know, the word of truth. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Let's lay into it, or else we're going to be the default of who we've always been. And it gets worse. Amen? Amen? My dear brothers, take notice. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay. This week, homework for all of us, you know, anger freaks. All the wives are nudging the husbands, and the husbands are nudging the wives. Here we go. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Everybody, take time this week just to listen. Don't respond. Just listen. And resist them when they push your buttons. What, are you mad? Yes, obviously we're mad. We're full of anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't say anything. Sit on it. It doesn't need to be solved in two seconds. Sit on it. Take it before the Lord. Give it time. Okay? We got to work on this together. Then, for man's righteous anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. He, we, how many of you want to have a, the, the life that God desires? I want to have the life that God desires. I want to be pleasing to him. Therefore, get rid of all your moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. Wow. Moral filth and evil was prevalent among the Jews, the Jewish believers in James's day. He's saying get rid of it. It's so prevalent. It's everywhere. Back in verse 15, this is what he's talking about. Those lusts of the flesh. Read Galatians chapter 5. Talking about the fruit of this flesh, uh, uh, the, the response of the flesh, the life of the flesh is this. These types of things. But the fruit of the Spirit is contrary to that, and that's these things. Okay? We're going to get rid of it. Crucify. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Repent. We need to repent from this evil that's in our lives. Perhaps you're being influenced by a person. Perhaps you're being influenced by a relationship that's ungodly. Perhaps you're being influenced by the television, by a set of movies, by who knows what. 
cut it off. It hurts. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and we follow him daily. Amen? If you're in, this is the kind of game we're in. It's, it's life or death every week, every day. Therefore, get rid of all your moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word which is planted in you which can save you. You know, when we're angry, we're justifying our own positions. But when we're humble, we're willing to accept other people's positions, especially the word of God. That spirit of meekness. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Remember the deception is a word that pops up a lot here, doesn't it? Do what it says. Do not just listen to it, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who goes to his face, uh, looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he just looked like. You walk up to the mirror and you see you have all this, and this word look in the mirror is, is like, it's super inspect in the Greek. You're really meticulously looking at what's going on. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have that problem. But you go in the mirror and you look at yourselves and see what's going on and how, how it's working and all that stuff. And, oh, I've got an, you know, a, an eyebrow thing that needs to be fixed or whatever. But this is talking about you know, going in there and you see cake all over your face. You see mud and you go, hmm, and you walk away. And you forget that you have mud all over your face or you've got, you know, one of your eyelashes is all messed up. Whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? You forget and you walk away. It's the same thing when you look at the Word of God and you hear the Sunday morning sermon and you do nothing about it in your life. We're to go to the Word of God and we're to look at it, not to hear it and get a bunch of facts and information. We're to look at it with a heart that's humble and says, I'm going in here because when I start to read it, it reads me. That's why I'm not enjoying the book of James so far. Because it's showing me what's going on in my life. My flesh hates that. But the Spirit says, yes, let's get it out. Let's be more like Jesus. This is, this is, these are tools in our lives to change, to live the way he wants us to live. When I have trials, hey, this is an opportunity, an opportunity for God to do something amazing in me. Struggle with anger? Okay, let's work on that. Let's work on these things. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He will change us through His Word, by His grace. That's what I'm looking for in my life. Don't walk around with cake on your face. Get rid of it. Look, don't be hearers, but just doers. Remember Jesus talked about that? He said, hey, there's a couple houses that were built. One was built upon the sand. And the winds and the waves came and it, it howled and it blew that sucker down and great was the devastation. It was horrible. But the person who built their house upon the rock, it withstood, but they received the same storms that came, the same storms of life, the same trials, the testings and all that stuff, but they stood upon that rock. Those are the people we're to be, people of the rock, people of the word. Jesus says, and such will be the people who not only hear my words, but do them. You have to do that. You have to do it. So, faith in action. James is really big on this. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law and gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Oh, how I want to be blessed in what I do. Thank you, Lord. Hear the word and do it. If anyone considers himself religious. Now he gives us some examples. Examples. Anyone in here religious? Kind of, you know. Religious is never used as a positive term in the New Testament. Sorry about that. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tightened ring on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Ooh. Hearers and doers. Sheep and goats. Here we go. Practical application. The Lord says to keep a tame tongue. Keep Watch on that sucker, because it goes crazy. How many of us are doing that? Or do we just let it go and motorboat our way everywhere? He deceives himself, again, in that deceive. You think you're religious, but you're deceived. Religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. He gives an example of religion that's pure and faultless. To look at orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, what's interesting about orphan widows? They can't do what? They can't give back. There's no self-motivation in there. You're not doing it for your sake. You're doing it for their sake. Now, many have taken this verse and they say, well, then that's what we'll do. We'll just do widows and orphans. I think that's important. But this is an expression of an example of pure and undefiled religion. Anytime you get an an opportunity to where the Lord is glorified and you don't get glorified, pure and undefiled religion, wherever that might be. And notice he adds something else on here. You want to, you know, help the widows and orphans? Great. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Does that mean we go live in a hut somewhere out in the middle of nowhere? No. Paul said, man, if I I had to get away from it, I would have to die. No, to be in it, but not of it. We are representatives of God on this earth. The church is supposed to be a slice of heaven down here. The way we treat ourselves, our, each other, the way we talk about one another, the way we love one another, the way we give and meet each other's needs is to reflect the very heart of God. So when people see that going on, they go, whoa, what is going on there? There's no, there's no selfishness there. They're not going after, you know, taking territory and doing this for their own deal. It's... They just love each other. And Scripture says, and by your love for one another, they all know that I'm, 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 I'm God. I'm there. I'm alive. I'm among you. Now, when that scenario breaks down, when we're loving one another, when we're, ta- we're backbiting one another, when we're having all these problems going on, that totally defeats the whole purpose. And so what do you think the enemy's going to be at working on? He's going to be working on our anger. He's going to be working on our tongues. He's going to be working 
on our dissatisfaction in lives. He's going to be working on getting us to escape from our trials instead of looking at it for an opportunity of faith. He's going to look he's going to be working us on fear. He's going to be pushing fear into your lives. Oh no, you have cancer. Yes, cancer, but this is an opportunity for God to do something. Yes, I'm devastated. But my hope is not here, it's in him. And even now, though he slay me, you know that kind of heart. I'm in ruin financially. There's no way out of this. Well, how do you know that? You're seeing through man's eyes. Perhaps God wants to do this first season in your life because he has something he wants to instill and give to you even greater in times to come, but you have to have the fortitude to do it, just like Joseph in prison for 20 years or for several years. You know, there was a character that had to be created under pressure until he was given all that authority and control and second command of all of Egypt. And then he was, instead of used for something for himself, look at me, I can interpret these dreams. He was used as a blessing. I can't do it, but the Lord can do it. And that moment that happened, he was taken out of jail, he was put into second command, and he became a blessing to all those people around for 14 years and beyond. So, brothers and sisters, today, be encouraged. The Lord is with you. He loves you. If you're in a trial, put your eyes upon him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't be discouraged. Put your eyes on him. If you're failing in an area, put it off. Let patience have its work in you. Let perseverance happen. Get rid of that sin. Kill it. Do whatever you have to do to do it. Go commando. It's time to get serious and follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Me included. Every week, I'm going through this, and I'm looking at this going, Oh, Lord, do I have to talk about this? Because I just failed in it this week, if you didn't notice, Lord. (laughs) Yeah. So... Be encouraged. You're the plan. You're the one God wants to use. You're it. Me with all my problems? Yes. So that he will get the glory. Amen? All right. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we give you all glory and honor. We recognize that you are the giver of the good and perfect gifts that we need in our lives. We don't deserve them, Lord, but we ask for them. We ask for your grace. That where we are in need, you would supply according to your riches and your glory. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to become further disciples of you, Lord. That our fondness of the world and its toys, Lord, would become less and less. And that we would be captured by you and your spirit. Be honored, Lord, when we gather together in our homes, baseball, wherever it is, that we would truly love one another. Scripture says that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Thank you for forgiving us. Some of us, (laughs) tons and tons and tons, Lord, that even the least of our sins 
sent your son to the cross. So, Lord, pour out your mercy upon us today. Give us grace and give us power, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that power to change, that Peter from the uh, denial and running away to that Peter who preached the gospel in front of those same people. Empower your church for the work you've called us to, to spread the gospel every single week. Help us not to be hearers only, but to be doers. In the name of Jesus, amen.